just for a minute, use your imagination, and come with me. I want you to imagine a picture frame that's really big. And in this picture frame, you step into a picture, a place where you'd like to go. And maybe that picture is a beautiful mountain scene where you climbed a mountain or went on a hike and you got to see the beauty and majesty and glory of God. That happened to me last summer when I was in Olympic National Park. I thought, I just want to stay here. Imagine, if you want to, to step into that picture frame and think of a, of a beach that you were on, a, a sandy beach where you heard the waves just kind of lapping up and you heard the seagulls and you saw the surf and you thought, ah, I think I'll just stay here for a while. Any of you want to go there? Or what about a cabin in northern Wisconsin where there's not mosquitoes? How are we doing? And you have coffee, and you think, I'm just going to stay here for a minute. Or maybe that other picture is one where it is a wedding day. It could be your wedding day, or your daughter's, or your son's. And you think everything was perfect. They looked beautiful. People that we love were there. Or maybe it's when someone said, I'd like you to meet for the very first time your grandson, Dad. This is Judah Cal, my first grandson. I'd like to step into that picture. Well, some of you have heard me make reference to this of some pictures that are being played out in front of us about the life of Jesus through a TV show called The Chosen. How many of you have seen that or watched that? There's a couple different episodes, a couple different seasons that are filming season three, but my wife and I and our son, we've enjoyed watching The, the Chosen because it seems that we get to enter into the life of Jesus in just a unique way and some of the different scenes that we've really enjoyed have been uh, scenes that have touched and impacted us, like when we saw the scene where the guy, the paralyzed man, came down through the roof and uh, the, the, the sons of Zebedee said, no, wait a second, that's our roof. They're thinking about how they're going to replace the roof. Or we saw the scene where Nicodemus met Jesus at night in John 3:16, And we heard Jesus say, God loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son. And it seemed like we were there. Julie made the comment this week. My wife, Julie, made the comment this week. I'd sure like to um, have been there with Jesus. Sure would be great. And then she said, now, wait a second. Maybe he is here today. Maybe he is here even closer today. And that's our focus this morning as we talk about Pentecost Sunday. The Pentecost power Jesus is here. Pentecost means that this has always been God's endgame. It's always been God's endgame to be with us. And he did that perfectly in the Garden of Eden. He did it perfectly. He walked with Adam and Eve, and he had fellowship. And that's always been his endgame before evil came. In fact, he gave a clue, and we hear that clue every year at Christmas, don't we? From the Gospel of Isaiah, we hear this words. And the virgin will give, give birth, and she will have a son, and his name will be God with us, Emmanuel. And God was with us. For 33 years, God took on flesh, and he walked with us. And crazy as it sounds, he was tempted in every way we are, tested in every way we are, and it was without sin. 
he had friends, and we know he had more than his number of enemies, right? Because he was flesh, he probably had bad breath in the morning, just saying. But he walked with us. And what's interesting is he could only be in one place at one time. He could only be in one place at one time. He couldn't be in Bethany and Capernaum where his friends were at, at, two different, at the same time, could he? He couldn't be in Nazareth where he grew up and be in Jerusalem at the same time. So how could God be with us if he was with them? Because the them is not us. Did you follow that? And the Bible says, Emmanuel, God with us. We qualify. Jesus made this comment in John 16, 7. It's a beautiful verse. He said, however, I tell you the truth. It's good for you that I'm going away. If I don't go away, the helper, the advocate, the counselor won't come. But if I go, I will send him, God with us. God will never break his promise. And that's why today we celebrate what the church is doing around the world, celebrating Pentecost Sunday. So here's a little bit of background before we read about Pentecost Sunday. What was that all about? It was 10 days after Jesus ascended. He had told his friends to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Now there's a little bit of backstory to this. This was Pentecost, was one of the festivals that Jewish people were invited, encouraged to come back to Jerusalem. And originally, it was a farmer's festival. I don't know if they drove their John Deere tractors to Jerusalem, not sure. But it was really based in the fact of a farming recognition for first fruits. And as it went on, it became also known as the festival where they would recognize the giving of the law. The giving of the law where God came to Moses and that fiery mountain came. And that's what people were in Jerusalem for. And the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that every nation was represented there in Jerusalem during the festival of Pentecost, this farmer's feast, if you will. Seven Sundays plus a day. But the Holy Spirit had other plans. The Holy Spirit was going to come in a powerful way. And just like the Holy Spirit came and God the Father came with his fire on the mountain, so now he would come with fire. And now he would come in a supernatural way. That as one commentator said, absolutely perplexed. In fact, Luke, the writer for the Gospel of Luke, who writes the book of Acts, runs out, let me read to you what this commentator by the name of Cressman says, he said, Luke exhausts his vocabulary in Acts chapter 2. Isn't that good? He exhausts his vocabulary in describing the multitude. Words like confounded, words like amazed, words like marveled, words like perplexed. They asked each other, what is the meaning of this? So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, in your pew Bibles, to page 936. If you're watching online, I invite you to do that as well, too, to Acts chapter 2. As we read what happens, God moves in a powerful way, and geographically it looks like this. I'm going to say a whole bunch of names, and if you can't see this slide, I apologize for that. But what's happening is the known world is all coming to Jerusalem. It's known as the dysphoria of the Jews. After they were brought into Babylonian captivity, think of the book of Daniel, 
God's people, the Jews, were scattered all over the Mediterranean Sea. And now they came back to Jerusalem. While they were scattered, they picked up the dialects. They picked up the language of the people that they lived in. Well, of course. But when they came back to Jerusalem, they would use their Hebrew language. But when the Holy Spirit came, the apostles and the disciples spoke in that dialect of the people. Wow. And because of Pentecostal power, it changed people. And it created praise. Watch what happens. Acts chapter 2. Did you have a chance to find it there? Reading in Jesus' name. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and when they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed. They asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, feared Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. Peter then goes on to address the crowd. Some have said it's Peter's first and best sermon ever. And he gives the Christocentricity of the scriptures and God's promise to send a Messiah. So what happened? What happened because of Pentecost? Jump down to verse 42. Do you find it there on page 937? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were told, and they had everything in common, and they sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple's courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And as one leader said, as I studied this text, he said, and from here on in, from here on in, in the New Testament, all the way, it's all about the church. It's the birthday of the church. How God's people are to act. The next book in the Bible is the book of Romans, and all roads lead to Romans, as we studied a couple years ago. It's doctrinal, it's foundational, it's like, Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. And then, then the next books of the Bible are, are letters to churches. We call them epistles, and they're teaching on marriage and family and raising kids and finances and sexuality and how the church is to work and spiritual gifts. 
And then, and then the, the letters after that are for leaders. They're called pastoral epistles for those who are serving in the church. And then the very last book in the New Testament is apocalyptic and revelational and prophetic, and it gives the final word, the final word of the bride of Christ when we meet the groom, the final word on war, the final word on finances, the final word on evil, the final word on politics, the final word. That's what it's about. So let me have you keep your Bibles open, but go to the left. And about a thousand years before Pentecost, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, Psalm 47 was penned. It's been titled, A Pentecost Psalm. And it helps us understand that when Pentecost power comes, it changes people. It changes people. And when Pentecost power comes, it creates praise. Did you find it there on page 457? One of the things that the Old Testament or actually the entire Bible doesn't use is it doesn't use underlining or italics or bold or big capital letters like when you text someone. How it gets a point across to emphasize God's heart is the word is repeated again and again and again. So in nine verses, the word peoples or the word nations is used. Do you see it there in verse 1? All you nations. Verse 3, nations. Verse 3, peoples. Verse 8, nations. Verse 9, peoples. The author is trying to communicate something. God's promise to Abraham was through all the nations. All the nations would be blessed through him. They would know him. That's what we're praying for, by the way. The first Thursday of every month, we pray for that in our full bay prayer meetings, and there's room for you to join us. It is fantastic. My friend Greg Munson does a fantastic job. And quite frankly, I'll say this publicly because I told him this privately, it's the best prayer meeting I've ever been in in my life. He does a great job. And so we pray for that. We pray that the nations would come to know him and everyone has a story, don't they? Everyone has a story. One of the names that are listed here is the man by the name of Jacob, a man who walked with a limp. God changed him. And it's one of the encouraging passages, encouraging people, excuse me, encouraging people that God blesses unrighteous people, not because of how they act. Jacob is mentioned right there in verse 4. What was Jacob's story? Well, compressed, it's this. He was a jerk. He was manipulative. He was a mama's boy. He took advantage of the situation. He lied. And God blessed him. Yes, indeed, he was estranged with his son Joseph for over 20 years. And at the end of his life, he ended up blessing his boys. But it's not because of who Jacob was that God blessed him. It was God's faithfulness. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, let this just sink into your heart and encourage your soul, Christian friend. It says this, Deuteronomy, chapter 7. This is probably several hundred years after Jacob. God reminds us 
The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because God loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Know therefore the Lord your God, he is faithful. Amen? Yeah, he's faithful. He keeps his covenant to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Everyone has a story. And the stories are still being written. Let me tell you the story of a family that you go, ooh, they have a creepy background. There's the story of Korah, K-O-R-A-H. The book of Jude talks about the rebellion of Korah. Numbers chapter 16 introduces us to this man who caused a revolt, an insurrection, a rebellion amongst Moses and Aaron. Korah was in charge of watching over the tabernacle and keeping, making sure the tabernacle, but he wanted the place of being a priest like Moses and Aaron, and he challenged Moses and Aaron's leadership. Numbers chapter 16 lays this out, and let me just summarize. When someone says, and you think about the earth opening up, that's what happened to Korah. Because not only did he challenge Moses and Aaron, but he challenges God's selection of Moses and Aaron for leadership. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because the story of Korah wasn't, written, wasn't concluded there. His descendants, those that came from his Levite tribe. Seven generations later, a man by the name of Samuel came on the scene. God wasn't done. You see, Pentecost power changes people. And seven generations later, here was Samuel on the scene. First Chronicles chapter 6 tells us that from Korah's descendants, they became mighty warriors for David. They became Korah descendants, those who were involved with the operation and the custodians of the tabernacle itself. God wasn't done. In fact, you see the name Korah at the top of Psalm 47, don't you? That little, cor that little transcript. And now the sons of Korah are writing psalms, 11 total, including Psalm 47. Don't give up on someone's story because the story is still being written. We said goodbye to my friend Agnes Iverson on Monday. And as their children were sharing about her story, I thought God didn't give up on Agnes. God rescued Agnes. And it was a beautiful gospel story. See, when Pentecost power comes, it changes people. It changed Jacob. It changed Korah. It changed our friend Agnes. And I want to tell you another story that happened. Two weeks ago, uh, right here on Sunday morning, uh, you, many of you were kind enough to wish me a happy birthday. I turned 29. It was great. And, um, and so the next day, I went to Minneapolis for an appointment and to have dinner with a very good friend of mine. His name is uh, Brad Miller, and we've known each other for 40 years. And so he treated for supper. I didn't know that that was going to take place. And so we went early to get the half-price apps. And we got to know our waitress by the name of Demi. And uh, my friend Brad 
is uh, just an incredible man of God. He works at a church in Woodbury. And um, so he started teasing, and he said, it's my friend's birthday. I've known him for 40 years. Um, I thought he was going to say he doesn't look a day over 80. He looks good, doesn't he? And so um, he turned to Demi, our waitress, after we had gotten to know her and asked her about specials and what she did and other jobs that she had. And he said, it's my friend's birthday. Do you have anything for birthdays? And he said, you bet. We have a dessert. And so it was a fudge brownie with ice cream, caramel dripped all over it. All the calories were out. And she said, would you like two spoons or one? Brad goes, just one. I said, are you kidding me? He's going to help me. So she brings back the caramel, and she brings back the ice cream with, a, with a, uh, a candle on it. And then my friend Brad looks at Demi and says, uh, Demi, I've known this man for 40 years. I'm going to pray a blessing upon him. Is there anything I could pray for you for? And Demi, the waitress, looks at my friend Brad and said, I've never been asked that question before. Yeah, you can. Would you pray for me for patience? And then she unpacked that. And the reason I share that story with you is I remember Demi 10 days later. I remember to pray for her. And I am willing to bet that Demi didn't forget that question either. Now, did she pray to receive Christ? Did she become a Christian that day? No, but I can tell you with full confidence I think she was moved closer to the cross. Amen? Yeah. See, when Pentecost power comes, it changes people. It changed our friend Agnes. It changed Korah, descendants. It changed Jacob. And I think it changed Demi. You see, Pentecost power also does something as well. It causes praise. Someday the nations, the peoples, will boast and will all say, we were saved by Jesus. We were saved by his grace. In eternity, past praise, exaltation, shouts of joy took place. And in eternity future, God's glory, God's majesty, God's beauty, God's awe, God's reverence, God's power, God's grandeur, that will take place. And just in this blip of time that we walk on planet Earth, it may not be happening. At the end of the funeral, uh, my, my friend, I got permission to share this. Um, Rich gave me permission to share this. Uh, Rich Wall, who does many Sundays, is doing our tech. Uh, after the funeral, he said, I've been thinking about my mom. He lost his mom recently, and I lost my mom two years ago. And he said, I've been thinking about my mom, Pastor Kirk. And he said, it's the craziest things that trigger memories of my mom. And he shared something. And I said, I know. I said, when I see a red cardinal for my mom, it triggers that. But I turned to Rich and I said, Rich, the Bible says that our moms are in heaven. And Jesus provides the light. There is no darkness. Our moms are not in heaven going, I wish I was back in Wisconsin eating Friday fish fries. They're not doing that. We praise him. The word verse, in verse 2, the word in the NIV says, God is awesome. That's why we praise him. The word awesome means to respect and to fear the one. Why? Look at the words that are used. He is Yahweh. He is most high. He is king. It is about the one 
who is on the throne. Psalm 68, 34 through 35 says this, Proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the heavens. You, God, are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Have you ever walked into a sanctuary before and gone, Oh! Three years ago, when Julie and I had the chance to go to Notre Dame, before it burned, people would take off their hats and they would be quiet as they went into Notre Dame and they would recognize the glory and the majesty of God. And I'm thinking, his majesty is even greater outside, but it's not bad in here. The psalmist doesn't want you to miss the idea of praise. He uses the repetition again. And as you look at verse 47, you see it used eight times. Eight times we were created to praise him. It causes us to praise him. Look at all the verses. Verse 1, cries of joy. Verse 5, shouts of joy. Verse 5, the sounding of trumpets. That would be pretty joyful. Then verse 6, praise, 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 praise. Verse 7, praise. The author is wanting you to say, we praise him, we adore him. Eugene Peterson, the author of the message paraphrase, says this, noisy exuberance in this psalm is appropriate for God's people. It is a kind of a holiday parade atmosphere that goes along with the realization that God is king over all the earth. Long live the king. Long live the king. Long live the king. That's what the psalmist is trying to say. Remember, God's plan is to always walk with his people. In a rotting world with crumbling structures, our home is the one king, is with the one king in verse 8. The whole grand story centers not on the headlines, friends, but on the throne. In all attempts to rationalize God out of existence in our world, he reigns over the universe. So how do we praise him? Matthew Henry encourages us, the, the British commentator says, praise is the duty to which we ought to be frequent and abundant. So let me give you some truths that will encourage your soul. It's, you can find these in the worship bulletin, but these came from J.I. Packer, a beautiful, godly Christian man who wrote the book Knowing God. These are truths that you can repeat every day, and they're true for the challenges that we face and for the imposter syndrome that goes in our head. First of all is this, I'm a child of God. If you know Christ, if you've confessed him, if you've asked for forgiveness of sins, repeat this, I'm a child of God. Say that out loud. One, two, three, ready? I'm a child of God. Number two, God is my father. One, two, three. God is my father. We're two weeks away from Father's Day. Some of us have had good dads, not perfect dads, but good dads, great dads. Others, it's been hard. But here's the word of hope. God is my father. He's a safe person to run to. One of the things I miss about my dad is I could ask my dad any question, and it wasn't dumb. It was safe. I miss that, but I've learned in the last couple years, I can ask God those questions, and they're not dumb. He's my father. I'm a child of God. The next two is, heaven is my home. Say that, one, two, three, ready? Heaven is my home. Whatever's beautiful here on planet Earth is going to be a ton better. 
eternity better, unimaginably better in heaven. Every day is one day nearer. Say that back to me. One, two, three. Every day is one day nearer. It doesn't mean that we're wanting death. But when Christ comes back and we're home, we'll go. I wonder why I ate my vegetables and ate those rice cakes after all. Just kidding. Every day is one day closer. Last two are this. My Savior is my brother. What's your big brother like? Do you have one? You have a perfect one in Christ. Say that back to me. My Savior is my brother. And then say the last one. Every Christian is my sister and my brother too. Wow. That's right in the heart of unity. And it causes me to say, Lord, help me love this person because every Christian is my sister and brother too. I share that with you because praise is the outflow of the Holy Spirit who works in us, causes us to acknowledge him. It's with those who are changed by the Pentecost power and help, it helps me fight the imposter syndrome. Have you heard of the imposter syndrome before? The imposter syndrome is the idea that we live with self-doubt and personal incompetence. Even despite our success, we go, do I really, really fit in? And these truths that are there are based on God's word. So let me tell you this powerful story that I came across couple months ago when I thought, wow, that is really good. There's an author by the name of Neil Gaiman. He's an award-winning author. If you look at his resume and the awards that he's won in fiction, in comic books, in novels, in graphic novels, he has 30 years of winning literature awards. And I found out that uh, he actually lived for a while in Menominee, Wisconsin. Maybe he lives there now, I'm not sure. But he won a lot of literature awards, and as a result of that, he was invited to this event that I'm going to read to you about. This is Neil Gaiman, his words. He said, some years ago, I was lucky enough, and I am invited to gathering to a gathering of great and good people, artists and scientists and writers and discoverers of things. And I felt that at any moment, they would realize that I didn't qualify to be there among these people who had really done things. On my second or third night, I was standing at the back of the hall while a musical entertainment happened, and I started talking to a very polite, nice, elderly gentleman about several things, including our shared first name, Neil. And then he pointed to the hall of people and said words to the effect of, I just look at all those people and I think, what in the world am I doing here? They've made amazing things. I just went was where I was sent. And I said, yes, but you were the first man on the moon, and I think that counts for something. <laughs> I felt a bit better. Because if Neil Armstrong felt like an imposter, maybe everyone did. Maybe they weren't any grown-ups, only people who had worked so hard and gotten lucky and were slightly out of their depth all of us doing the best job we could, which is all we can really hope for. I listen to the truths of God's word, and I rest in God's word. 
I rest in the fact that he has said he'll be with us. And today is Pentecost Power Sunday. God is with us. He doesn't leave us alone to figure things out. His promises are true. So I ask you these questions. This morning we have heard from God's word. We have heard from God's word. And it lists the greatness of God front and center. How can that reminder encourage you to face what lies ahead this week? God goes with you. And you stand up after we sing this song, and you stand up and you leave, and you scatter, and you are the salt and light in the Chippewa Valley this week. Know that the God of the universe fills you as you call upon him. And the psalm also anticipates the future, doesn't it? It anticipates the future to come. Someday we will see face to face. Someday, someday, hopefully soon, we will praise him, adore him, love him, and think, this is home. I'm home. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us this week. Spirit of God, present and powerful. Spirit of God, fruitful and faithful. Spirit of God, filling and fulfilling us as your kids and followers of Jesus. Hear our prayers. Come and move and create and redeem and restore, please. Joyful spirit, we celebrate your grace evident in changed lives, in babies that are born, in relationships reconciled, in needs met, and in salvation embrace. Healing spirit, we ask you to please restore those who are ill or injured physically, emotionally, and mentally. Comforting spirit, we ask you to please console and encourage the grieving, to rescue the depressed and the burned out. Peaceful spirit, we ask you to please replace fear with faith in these days of anxiety and uncertainty and enable us to trust the Father's sovereign power and grace more than our portfolios and bank accounts. Help us to lean into your goodness and power, lean into the wind to hear the voice of Jesus, the sun coming across the crashing waves of the storm that says, don't be afraid. I'm with you always. Emmanuel is my name. Reconciling spirit, we ask you to please bridge the divide in our world and in our nation that divides people of different ethnicities, economic status, race, party affi affiliation, education, language, and geography, biases, and prejudice. Jesus, you are the bridge over troubled waters. Holy Spirit, take us to him. Bring us together in Christ. Living Spirit, where there's death, the death of hope, the death of love, the death of grace, the death of a marriage, the death of a relationship, the death of a career or a dream, please bring life out of death. Just as you raised Jesus from the dead, find a way, make a way, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.